Well, good morning, church. Come on. We're in a series, Summer Baggage, and we're identifying what are the burdens that weigh us, that weigh us down. And today, I, I hope that God's going to be addressing maybe one of the, the greatest struggles where we bring the most baggage is this area of my fear baggage. Uh, fear. Everyone experiences it, but everybody responds differently to it. And God has a very specific attitude towards fear and a call, a summons to rally God's people to respond so different. So, so this morning we bring our baggage, right? We bring, bring it to God. We're honest about where we're at. We're honest with the things that are going on around us, especially going on in us, and especially the things that are coming out of us. We get honest about it, right? Turn your neighbor and say, get honest. All right, that's what we do. That's what we do. That way we, we don't hide, we don't cover up, we don't, we don't try to put on a facade and, and wear a mask that the church should be the only place in the world where a group of people can actually be honest about who we really are, right? Uh, in, in our old nature that is still lingering, but I hope the church better be a place where we can tell the truth about who we really are in Jesus Christ, who we are called to be in him. And today... Here's a, a big call of, for us to turn away. Here it is. I, I think we can get this up on the screen. If you're taking notes, I want to do this as an intro, and then we're going to dive into prayer. But the baggage problem for today, anxiety. Anxiety. Our baggage problem, anxiety. Biblical promise, God is with me. He's with me. But we don't just celebrate Emmanuel at Christmas. Some people have uh, Christmas in July, we're having Christmas in August, all right? God is, he's with us, he's with us, Emmanuel, he's with his people. And how about this? Here's a bold proclamation, we proclaim it, right? Shout it from the mountaintops. Here's what's true, here's what we're resolved to do, I will not fear. That's the call of a believer. Only, only a believer in Jesus can say, I have the resources, I have the ability, I have the power to say, I will not fear. I'm not, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to live that way anymore. I'm not going to be controlled by fear and worry, anxiety anymore. But easier said than done, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So before we can appreciate what God's promise solves, we're talking about promises in our series of summer baggage, right? God's promises. Before we can appreciate the promise of what it solves, we need to know what the problem is. And so, if you're, if you're up for it, we are going to have like the longest introduction in history of introductions, because I just want to lay some groundwork. Is everybody, everybody okay with that? Like, do we have a choice? No, no, you do not. But just offered, I offered so we could partner together in this, all right? So, so here we go. With this issue of fear, we need to ask the question, what are, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Would you just, just answer that in your heart? Don't you don't have to say it out loud, but like, what are your fears? What are the things that provoke and antagonize you with anxiety and worry? Do you believe it's different for everybody? A little, little different, right? Maybe there's, maybe there's a top three, a top five, a top ten, but we're all, we're all different. We're all different. What gets us riled up? What gets us anxious? What keeps us up at, at night? We got baggage. We got baggage. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got baggage. Let them know, all right? All right? It's a judge-free zone, but we just got to speak the truth in love, right? Like, we got baggage. We got baggage. Well, well, here's the truth about fear. With our, with our baggage of, of fear is that fear just happens. There's an element that like, like fear is upon me and fear is rising up within me. 
I was minding my own business. I was just going along throughout my day, and then bam! It's like, who invited you? How did you get here? Uninvited guest, fear. It's, it's happening to how many people? All. Everybody say all. It, to, to all of us. Every single one of us is facing some level of fear, worry, anxiety. It's a universal problem. And the reality of fear, it, it happens to us. Well, if you want to write this down, I, I just thought this was so powerful, spending my time in God's Word this week on this topic. One of the most common exhortations or, or challenges to God's people from God's messengers is fear not or do not fear. Fear not, fear not, fear not, do not fear, do not fear. Why is that? Well, maybe God knows something that, that we don't. And here's, a, here's an inconvenient truth, all right? We're worse than anything going on in our climate. This is, this is worse. This is an inconvenient truth. Fear is the complete state of anti-God. Because where fear controls, God's not invited in. Where, where fear becomes the culture in your mind, in your heart, in your home, in a nation, God is not there because God eliminates fear. He destroys, he obliterates fear. And so either fear grows or faith grows, but if you think about it, where God is, fear is running. Where fear loves to grow in the dark, God brings his light, and the reality is it's either fear or it's faith in God. God is seldom further from you than when your heart is filled and controlled by fear instead of faith. And we're not talking about the, the surprise jack-in-the-box fear that's provoked and initially felt and experienced. We're talking about letting it linger and inviting it in. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And letting it stay and letting it dictate decision-making and relationships. Fear is completely relying on your own resources and suddenly realizing you are not enough. You don't have what it takes in yourself to overcome this. No willpower, no white-knuckling it will sustain you. Anxiety, frightened reaction, fearful responses. It's not healthy. It's not healthy for you. It's not healthy for your relationships. It's not healthy for anybody, and it's not, it's not from God. So the Bible recognizes that one of our greatest problems in life is, is fear. So could, could we pause for a second and just think, think about fear? Fear, is fear a past issue? No. Is fear a present issue? No, I, I would say this. Fear is a future issue. Fear is about the future. Fear is about the future. Because what, what's our struggle with the past? Regret? Disappointment? Lingering what-ifs and if-onlys, right? How about in the now? In the present, how are we struggling? We're, we're struggling with what's right in front of us, what's happening and unfolding, and there's all kinds of responses to that. But fear, fear is almost ex exclusively about the future. It's about the future. It's about... What is going to happen and how is this going to play out? And what if, what if, what if? Is that you? Um, it, it's, it's been uh, studied over and over again that uh, a couple generations ago, there were certain personality types that rose up uh, and, and it was usually about accomplishment and achievement that there were, there's so many types of personalities that were really about uh, let's go to war and fight. Let's get the goals accomplished. Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's uh, make, 
make America great for the, for the first, second, third, 18th time. And like we, we want to fight for that and be doers. And now we have multiple generations, not dominated by uh, accomplishments and status, but now more than ever in the history of America, the majority of hardwired personalities is fear. Fear-based decisions, fear-based living, fear-based relationships, fear-based uh, vocational pursuits, fear-based spending, fear-based marriages, fear-based parenting. That's the world we, we live in. Do you think fear is a big deal? Have I, have I made, made, made the point? Everybody say you made the point. Okay, you got it, you got it, you got it. Okay, this is a really, really big deal. Uh, we're afraid of losing people. We're, af- we're, we're dreading losing possessions. We're anxious over losing our position. We recoil from physical pain. We're terrified about emotional pain. We fear failure. So let's clarify, fear is a universal problem. So if you walked in this morning and thinking, well, I'm the only one and nobody understands, oh, 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 we all experience this thing called fear. And, and just thinking about what does scripture say about it? Well, here we go. Just in way of introduction, uh, the word fear, 441 times afraid, 167 times tremble, 101 times terror, terrified, 121 times. Should we continue? Dread, frightened, afraid. We got a lot more. Faint, pass out from fear. I mean, scripture, we could say this whole book is about fear, okay? In one sense, you could say the whole thing from cover to cover, we have the subject of fear every, everywhere. And so before we jump into Number one, I I just want to ask, will you receive fear into your heart and mind or will you listen and trust in God's promises? Because this is a series about the promises of God. And I don't know where you've been. I don't know what your attitude has been like about God's promises. Some people, well, I'm just trusting God's promises. Just trusting the promises of God. If we don't know them, we can't trust in them. Are you tracking with me? I know that was super deep. I mean, like, I know I lost half of you, right? If you don't know what the promises are, you can't put your faith in those promises. If you don't know what God's word says, you can't believe it, right? You only can believe the things that you know. So this series is about the promises of God. And so I, I, I just need, Bailey, can you come up? Because obviously you are the master over, over this entire church right now of expertise in all things percussion, and I just need your assistance, okay? Can you, can you come out? I'm not going to embarrass you. I just need, need your expertise. So here's the deal. All of us, all of us, just, just because I, I, I really need, I need some sound effects, okay? And I just, I don't know anybody better, okay? You know how to handle this? All right. So what, what do you think is going to be the best sound for like a, a, a door knock? I don't know if it, like rim? Is that going to, because that's not a door knock, right? You want to try it out? Let's get that. All right, I think that's the best we're going to do, right? You want, you want to help me out by standing there and being ready? All right, so the, the deal is, it's, it's not that, that fear is the problem or sinful in itself when, when fear knocks on the door. A little, little louder, work with me. A little bit more, don't break the stick though. All right, so when, when fear knocks on the door, what, what, what choice do you have? Are, are you paralyzed? Are you helpless? Are you a victim? When fear comes knocking on the door, are, are you helpless at that point? Yes or no? Do you, do you, are you a victim when fear shows up? But you have a choice to make. What choice are you going to make? Because when fear comes knocking, you can say, 
Well, fear, where have you been? It's been so long. I've been without panic attacks for quite some time. Thank you for coming over and visiting. Come in. Please have a seat. Let's chat about all of the fearful, worst-case scenarios of the future that could possibly happen, and let's panic ourselves, whip ourselves into a frenzy. Thank you for visiting. Please stay. Do you have that choice? You can choose that. You can choose that. So the problem isn't fear knocking. The problem is you letting fear in the, in the door. Maybe, maybe you could say when fear, when fear knocks, the, my deal is not that I would just let fear in because who does that, right? Who makes friends with, with fear? Because like, why, why would you actually just want to live with fear and, and have a roommate of fear? You wouldn't want that, right? But maybe what you feel like is, well, when fear comes knocking, sometimes it doesn't just tap once, it keeps, it keeps knocking and knocking and knocking. I can't help it. Like, it wants in bad, and so I'm feeling a little anxious about anxiety, even visiting that maybe I'll just leave the door unlocked, and I will make a way for it to come in, and hopefully it'll leave. I don't know where you're at with the anxiety. I don't know what happens when it comes knocking. That was just, it's amazing. It's amazing. All right, thank you so much. Thank you. You Yeah, we can give her a hand. Give her a hand. So if you're thinking about fear, well, aren't we supposed to fear the Lord? Yes. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of wisdom. Uh, fearing the Lord is the only healthy fear because it's a vertical fear. We're talking about horizontal fear, right? Nobody's controlled by fear unless they give permission, unless they make a way for anxiety to either stay, visit, or at least creep in at night. So are you locking your door? Are you locking your windows? Are you fighting? Are you resisting? Because you're not a victim, even if fear visits you every single day. Is that you? I don't know about you, but some of us are, are wired in a way where fear has been our life. And as we consider this topic, it's even really difficult to think about a life not being controlled by fear, not having persistent anxiety attacks, not being overwhelmed internally, predictably, with very specific scenarios and specific triggers. Some of us, we don't even believe it's possible. We believe it's possible for other people that have faith. But for some of us, we feel like, I'm a victim. This is the way life is. And if you don't hear anything else the rest of this message, here's the reality. God is calling you to fight fear and He guarantees the victory over fear. God takes fearful, anxious people and He makes them different. He radically changes them. And how do I know? Until I was 21 years old, my whole life was a panic attack. The reason I was a drug addict is because the only time that I did not feel anxiety and panic is when I was high or I was drunk. Self-medicating is a very common way to deal with anxiety. When I was radically saved and all of a sudden the call to pastoral ministry came, I refused for my first years of 
I will never stand up and speak. Public speaking, probably in the top one of all anxiety-inducing and all, all fearful uh, lists that we could make, right? And I told everyone that I spoke with, I will not preach, I will not teach, I will not get up in groups. Uh, I spent a week on the toilet every week in preparation for a one-minute speech and speech class, a three-minute speech and speech class. The first years of preaching, I am throwing up every single Sunday morning, okay? I know something about anxiety, and I also know there's victory. And it doesn't go away. The fear doesn't go away, but the responses change by the power of God. Can we pray? Father, as we, as we take a look at just a few of these passages, God, remind us, your word is powerful. And we come under the authority of your word right now. We are not above it. We are not better than it. We are not smarter than you. God, we can't figure out this life on our own. We don't have what it takes. And victory comes you tell us when, when we humble ourselves, you give grace to the humble, not, not to the proud, not, not to those that think that they have it or that they're enough, but instead, grace comes to those that know they desperately need help. And God, I need help. We need help. And we want to see victory. We want to be changed by your promises. So we bring our baggage to you. We bring our past to you. We bring our patterns and our lifestyles of fear and worry and anxiety to you. And God, we have expectations, less of people and more of you. God, we expect you to come through on your promises. And we're going to test your promises. And we're going to try them. And we are not going to be disappointed. That's what we're going to do as a church. So would you be our teacher? Would you change our hearts? Change our perspective, we pray. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, if you want to do this, if you want to open with me to Hebrews 13, Hebrews 13, I'll give you a second to, to get there. Hebrews 13, here, here's one thing we need to consider uh, about preaching style is we're almost always in a book of the Bible, uh, the Summer Baggage series, we're going to be bouncing around to some different verses, okay? And so if you would forgive me for, for some small seasons where I, I have to make you flip pages and try to figure it out, for some of you on your, on your phone, you're like, no problem. One swipe of the thumb, I'm there, right? I can go from Hebrews to Romans in two seconds flat, all right? So impress your friends. But we're going to go from Hebrews, we're going to be in Romans, and hopefully you're going to be jotting down some addresses. It's going to be pretty, pretty awesome. So the antidote to fear is the promise God is with me. He's with me. So do you find your security in God? This is what he's calling us to. So number one, God is with me, Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Keep your life, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never, ever leave you nor forsake you, verse 6. So we can, we can confidently, everybody say confidently. We can confidently say this. When God says, say this confidently, what do we do? Like, I'm there, I'm there. This is what I do confidently. I, I hope you have confidence just rising up right now. The Lord is my helper. I believe it. I believe it. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. I will not fear. Everybody say that. I will not fear. 
What can man do to me? What is man? What People? People? Really? Really? What can they do to me? I know a God that spoke just words and made these people. And I will not fear. I will not fear. I won't fear man. I will I'll turn my attention of fear vertically to God, but I will not live in fear. Jeremiah 23, 24, if you want to jot down that address, Jeremiah 23, 24. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? God sees everything, right? He knows everything, declares the Lord. He, he is what? What's the word for that? That he's omnipresent. He's omnipresent. He's, he's everywhere. He's everywhere, right? Because God's with, he's with me in a special way. He is everywhere for everyone, but he is with me as a believer. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? He's like, I'm everywhere. I'm everywhere. But I hope we get this. The difference between omnipresence and manifest presence. God is everywhere all the time, but he says that he's with certain people. He's with them. Like like the idea of intimacy. Like, I'm right here. So a big question we have to ask is, is God with everyone? Okay, don't shake your head because I don't, I don't want you to be embarrassed if you get the wrong answer. It's 50-50 chance. Ah! No, he's not. God is not with everyone. He's everywhere, but he's not with everyone. Everybody say, prove it. Come on, say it again, prove it. All right, okay, I, I, I will, I will, I will. Number, number one, if you, if you have your outline under number one, we got a sub point here. God is not with the proud. God's not with the proud. We have Psalm 138. He's not with the proud. Harboring pride and and human pride is a thinly veiled claim of divinity. That I, I, I can be like God. And if we insist on ruling every tiny thing in our universe, controlling and overpowering and pressing on, we should be sensing a distance. Uh, number two, I just want you to look up these, these verses on your own, but God, God's not with the worldly. James 4.4 4 would be one, one instance here. James 4.4, 4, write that down. Do a study this week. Loving the world. Can, can we love the world and love God? James says, no, either or, either or, either or, but it's not both and. Either you're in love with the things of this world, living for this world. You're a friend of the world because James says to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. Number three, God is not with the rebellious. Isaiah 1 helps us out. If you want to jot that down, search that later. The rebellion against God. God will not respond to a rebellious heart. In in fact, he says, I will not answer you. I will not. If you continue on and persist in sin, I'm not listening to you. So when we pray, either God says yes, says no, he says wait, or he says not listening, repent. I will answer, I will listen to a a repentant cry for forgiveness, God says, and then we can start walking together and be together. But he says, this this is a problem, rebellion. How about number four? God is not with those who harbor sin. Uh, If you want to jot down Psalm 66, 18, look that up. The idea of hoarding sin and cherishing sin. The idea of, uh, do not disturb me. I'm going to do my own thing. And do you think as a pastor that, that every conversation that a pastor has, even within the church, do you, do you think every conversation where there's struggles and there's sin and there's failures, do you think every response is always, well, pastor, you're right. I see it from the Bible. I shouldn't be doing that. You're, 
You're right. Thank you for calling me out on that. Thank you for correcting me from this point forward. I'm just going to honor God and I'm going to obey what Scripture says. Do you, do you think that's, you think that's a, my experience 100% of the time? Okay, let's do, let's do 50% of the time. All right, let's keep going. Like, look at, looking for single digits. A response of, you're right, God's right, I've been wrong, but unfortunately, the vast majority of the time is, can we agree to disagree on that? I mean, I know God said that, but, but, but. Everybody say but. And that's where we get in trouble, right? Which side are you on of that response? But it's different for me, and you don't understand my past. And God is not with those that persist harboring sin and justifying excuse-making. It's, it's an issue. If you want to jot this down, Psalm 139. I don't know if you've been there lately. I know uh, we, we've had some messages involving 139 recently. God, search my heart. Search, search and see. See what's going on inside of me. See, see my heart and, and where are there errors and where am I flailing and, and justifying and excuse-making and wandering and straying 139, specifically 23 and 24, uh, I, I just jotted this down. Make sure your heart is right with God by getting rid of obstacles in your relationship with Him. Do you believe that even, even if you're a believer, even if you're a Christian, that you can live a life where you just grow cold and hard and your ears are, are shut up and God is wanting to speak and, and it Hopefully this isn't a surprise, but God speaks through God's people many times. God uses relationships. Well, if God wanted me to know, He'd just write it in the sky. Or He would send a brother or sister in Christ to say a hard thing to help you and to love you. And may we, may, may we ask God, God, soften my heart. Open my eyes. Open my ears. That I wouldn't be stubborn. I wouldn't be stiff-necked that I would hear, and that I would obey. How about this? Romans 8, if you want to flip there. Okay, so we're going from Hebrews to Romans. I'm playing a little trick. We're going to be back in Hebrews, okay? So I don't want to mess with you too much, all right? But Romans, Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8. Let's take a look at verses 31 and 32 to start. Romans 8, New Testament, towards the end. If you were already in Hebrews, you want to back up just a little bit. If you're taking notes, if God already gave you his best, will he not give you something less? If you ask, what do we have? Romans 8, if you're tracking with me, Romans 8, 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, I, I hope you love that. I hope you love that. If I'm a Christian, God is for me. He's for me. He will never stop being for me. I love that. Even if all the world, even if all my friends and all my family hate me, despise me, God's for me. He's for me. And if he's for us, what does it say? Who, who can be against? Who can be against us? And again, he's not saying you're not going to have enemies. You're not going to have conflict. He's saying in comparison to those little horizontal struggles of people opposing and criticizing compared to that God's for us who cares God is for me verse 32 he who did not spare his own son but gave 
him up for us all. There we are again. I think we, we looked at this a little bit last week. Everybody say all. He's for he gave Jesus up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God already gave his best, why are we struggling with lesser things that we're asking for, lesser needs, lesser wants? And if we're praying according to God's will, he will answer. The problem is what? We don't always pray according to God's will, right? We pray selfishly. But if he already gave his best, he's not holding any good gift back. I don't know if you came in this morning believing that, but I I would say, church, believe this. Believe this. That God is for you. And he's not holding back good gifts from you. In fact, he's more eager to give them than you are to receive them. Believe that. The only problem is your Christmas list of all of your expectations, all of your wants, it might might not be God's thing. Not because he has what? Not because he has something less, but because he has best. That's what he gives. He gives gives best. He gives what's best. So his promises to us, he's committed his son, he's going to commit to following through in all of his promises that he will be with us. Even if others leave us or reject us, God will be there Always, always. Everybody say always. Always, always. And the number, of, the number of stories over the years that I have heard, and maybe it's you, maybe it's you, the number of stories of being betrayed and being hurt and unmet expectations and those that were closest to us and the things that were taken away from us and the problems and the trials that were given to us, and the ways that, that people... I mean, we, we could spend the rest of the day sharing stories and passing the mic over all of the things that have been spoken over us. Whether it was mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, whether it was a teacher, a coach, well, I mean, whatever, whatever it was, right? Whatever, whether it was a boss... We can make a long list and we could share a lot of stories of not just like kind of hurtful things, but things that make you just want to weep. And those things don't go away. But today, the promises of God is God saying, I'm with you and it doesn't matter if even they're against you. It doesn't matter if they despise you and hate you and seek to destroy you and undermine everything that you've ever done or when you needed someone most and they just utterly walked away and let you down, guess what? Here's the promise. God is with me. God is with me. And I know we know this, but God being with you is better, better than whoever left you. You want God more than you want whoever rejected, whoever walked away, whoever hurt you, whoever left you and abandoned you. You want God with you. You want God on your side. I hope you believe that. I want God more. I want God more. Him with me is better than everybody leaving me. He's better. He's better. How about this? Number three, Jesus is praying for us. Well, Romans 8 doesn't stop there. He continues on. This is crazy. Jesus is praying. He's praying for me. He's praying for his church. Romans 8, 33 and 34. Are you still there? Hopefully you didn't flip back to Hebrews. We're not there yet. Romans 8, 
Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Again, justification is what? God sees me through Jesus just as if I never sinned, just as if I always obeyed. Who did that? God did that for me on my behalf. That's my relationship now with the Father as he sees the perfection of the Son. It's God who justifies. 34, verse 34. Who's to condemn? I mean, if, if, if God is the one making me right, making all things right, who possibly could come along and, and, and hurt me with condemnation? Who could come against me? Christ Jesus is the one who died. He's like, whoa, 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 no, no, no. That, I know that's awesome, but more than that. Do you see that? More than that, more than I got more, I got more. Who was raised, amen? He, he was raised from the dead who is at the right hand of God and here's the last line. What is he doing? He's interceding for us. Do you believe that right now Jesus is praying for you? Do we think about that? Do we think about that? Well, I wonder if she's thinking about me. And it really hurts that they don't even care. And I wish he was... my. I wish the one that I loved was, was just like, mindful of me and thinking about me and when we get a glimpse of jesus is always praying for me i don't care whose mind i'm on i don't care who's thinking about me sweet thoughts right and thinking positively about me i got jesus and he's interceding intercession means praying on behalf of someone else so i don't care if you got a sweet prayer warrior granny or whatever else jesus got her beat Okay, I like, sorry, sorry, sorry. You got a better intercessor in Jesus. And John Wesley said this. I, I just thought this was so powerful. If you could just hear the Lord praying for you in the next room, you would not fear a thousand enemies. If you could hear the Lord praying for you in the next room, you would not fear a thousand enemies. I mean, what are the greatest implications of this promise that God is with us is that he is not passively with us casually with us that he is proactive always doing a work of being near and drawing close that we would not wallow in self-pity about being lonely that we would think god is with me that we wouldn't we wouldn't hope that people would be praying that we would have confidence that jesus is praying for me even if everybody else forgets right how many times have we been in a conversation and, and we just share a little bit or around the table or in a small group and hey could you just be praying for that and guess what every single person that walks away from that table or out of that living room nobody's remembering okay sorry 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 and unless somebody's writing it down like we yeah be praying for you we even walk out the door praying for you praying for you how many prayers has jesus forgotten to pray for you it's pretty awesome it's pretty awesome absolutely zero he knows perfectly he's praying perfectly even if everybody else fails of like you don't even care you're not even praying for me remember that thing i've been asking you to pray for for months like you forgot you didn't even remember me asking really disappointment disappointment never disappointed in god that's really good news everybody say that's good news it is it is such good news so it's not about us just surviving but it's us getting fired up about god being with us praying for us Seeking God in face of whatever we're facing. What God 
said he would do, it's done. It's done. All right, back to Hebrews. We're almost, we're almost there. We're almost there. He, back to Hebrews. Back to Hebrews. Chapter 13, if you got to use the table of contents, you already forgot where it's at. No problem. No problem. Hebrews chapter 13. Keep your life free from money. He goes on, the Lord is my helper. God won't forsake even if everything is lost. I am with you. I am your helper. Do not fear. What can man do to me? Number four, if you put your whole weight on God's promise, it's going to hold you up. Do you believe that? That you, you may be tempted to say to God, God, I, I think you're trustworthy maybe a little bit or maybe in one area. I can kind of trust you with this area, but I don't know about the rest. And so instead of full weight resters in Jesus, I wonder if the church has become like, we're, we're God leaners, right? Like, I'll put just enough, maybe even kick a foot up, and if something goes sideways, and if he doesn't come through, we, we've been having fun doing some construction across the street, and we, we have a few on our team that are, they're leaners, right? And it doesn't take much to be able to, to move or nudge or, or, or poke that. And pretty soon they're like, oh, shouldn't be leaning over there. Can you live your Christian life like that? I mean, you can. You can, right? Like, I, God, I trust you this much. I just put a little bit, a little bit of weight into it. But like, if you don't come through and you don't do my bidding and you, and you fail me and the thing that I really want and I don't get it, I'm back on my own two feet. And I'll kind of just lean a little bit and, and see if you, if you do what I want. Make me happy. Give me a comfortable life. Heal them. Don't let bad things happen. And if you fail, I'm, I'm, I'm back doing it myself. God is saying over and over again, if you're going to trust, you're talking about plopping your keister firmly. Feet up. Feet up. And you're saying, God, if this whole thing falls apart, I guess we're going down together, right? Because like full weight. And here's the reality. Do you believe that he can hold up his side of the bargain? That he can have you put his, your full weight on him and he's going to follow through? I hope, I hope you know every single time. He will. He will. When the bottom drops out, you don't drop out. You don't fall apart. His promises hold you up. I pray that you believe that. I, I was just thinking, <laughs> Moses going over the Jordan, looking at the promised land, he's right on the cusp of it, and, and he's not going. And for all of these years, there's been a strong leader. There's been consistency, even though everybody's been grumbling, and now their leader's going to die. He's not going to go in. And here we have in Hebrews, this passage is referring to something powerful. You don't have to turn there, but Deuteronomy 31.6, we're going to end with the call from Moses to Joshua. And think about all that's at stake and all the anxiety about the future, about the future, right? Here's what it says. Deuteronomy 31, be strong and courageous. Moses is saying to Joshua, 
in front of everybody. I'm not going, but he's going to lead you. Well, we don't trust him. We don't know where we're going. What if he just blows this whole thing up? Be strong and courageous, Joshua. Do not fear. Don't be in dread. And do you know what he was referring to? Don't be in dread of these nasty people called God's people. Do you believe that the church could be kind of a nasty place of gossip and slander and attacking and divisiveness? Moses is standing up saying, Joshua, you're going to be the new leader. You're going into uncharted territory, but we know what's ahead and it's good. Don't be afraid of these people that refuse to follow and that are stubborn and stiff-necked. It's the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. I don't know if you're in a position of leadership. I don't know if you have maybe very strategic influence because you have a title or wherever you're placed, but the reality is, do you, do you believe we all have influence? Do you believe that we're, we're all in a place where we're afraid of what people are going to say, the people that are around us, that we have influence, that I'm going to blow it, what if I fail, what if they don't like what I do and like what I say? Well, here we have, if you're taking notes, just jot this down, I will not fear. God is with me always. Deuteronomy 31, always, always. So we know if you put your whole weight on God's promises, it holds you up. And here we have lastly, I will not fear. God is with me always. God is with me. No matter what people say, no matter how they talk, he is with me. So as the worship team comes, we're just going to prepare our hearts for communion. Today, as we take communion, for some of us, we're, we're, we're kind of familiar with communion. For those that might not be, let's just clarify, as we take the Lord's table, as we take the Lord of the Lord's Supper, we receive communion what we are saying is, Jesus, your sacrifice is worth us pausing regularly to remember because we have a temptation to do what? We forget, we forget, we forget. The greatest sacrifice in history, and we go, oh yeah, that's right. We look at, and we're like, what year is it? It's 2022. How do we know? Because the entire calendar was marked by this one man that was born, right? And 33 years later, he, he died for who? For me, for you. And we need, to, we need to remember. We need to remember, right? So let's do this. Let's, let's just bow, bow our heads. And I just want us to prepare. So if you're, if you're a Christian, you come and you take communion. It doesn't matter if this is your first time. It doesn't matter if you're a member. None of that matters. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not is what matters. And so we are going to prepare our hearts when it's time. We're just going to come up and we are going to take a double-decker cup and it's an opportunity to give financially. If you consider this your church home, that you would then give in the, the offering trays and then return back to your seat and we'll take communion together. Okay. So Father, as we prepare our hearts right now, we know there are so many things heavy so many things that are spinning in our minds. There are so many situations and relationships that overwhelm us, that provoke, that irritate, that keep us up at night, that keep knocking, knocking, knocking at the door. God, may we be a people that chooses to slam the door in the face of fear not let fear, worry, and anxiety in. 
that it would have no place in us.